welcome to tonight's episode of The Epic Pencil, a weekly evening of original fiction, conversations with writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Thanks for joining me. Tonight marks the inaugural episode of The Epic Pencil, a hopefully fun and enjoyable exploration into writing, original fiction, and more. Tonight's episode, Phantasmagoria, was inspired perhaps most of all by some of the works of Ray Bradbury. Not his pantheon-level sci-fi, but rather his stories of childhood, like Dandelion Wine, and those with mystery and menace, like the Halloween tree with such delightful characters as Tom Skelton and Carapace Clavicle Moundshroud. And then there was the amazing Something Wicked This Way Comes. I loved those stories as a kid and still do, both for the stories themselves, but also the sense of place and time that Bradbury created. Set in the fictional main town of Shelton's Cove in 1906, Phantasmagoria is the first story that I wrote about Hatfield McLernan, his family, and his friends. It's also the first in a planned series of short stories and novels about Hattie and his ancestors and his descendants, through whom we'll experience moments in history along with love, loss, murder, and more. Or that's the plan, anyway. So let's put that pencil to paper and get started with Phantasmagoria, Part 1. The wind was blowing steadily off Shelton's Cove that June day in 1906 when I burst out of the schoolhouse, the first and fastest to explode out of my stiff school desk and emerge newly born into the freedom of summer. The lethargy and numerous aches and pains that made themselves felt only during the school year were gone like nine months of dust blown off my adolescent soul. I knew that I would pay for my joy at school's conclusion later. As the teacher's son, I was expected to enjoy school more than anyone else. But at that moment, on that particular afternoon, I didn't care. Tumbling down the lush green hill with blood-curdling whoops of glee, thirty equally out-of-control children hot on my trail, I crashed into the split-rail fence beside the road and railway tracks, only to be struck absolutely dumb. Chugging around the curve of the hill toward the town was the most marvelous steam train, Garishly painted, the locomotive wheezed and spewed steam and bubbles, while a brass bell rang and a long, bright horn blatted at us. Bodies jostled about me, my schoolmates desperately seeking a better view of the contraption. What is it, Hattie? That was my best friend, Shep Duncan, aged thirteen and a half, a fact that when compared to my own fourteen years and my mother's profession, made me the undisputed authority on everything. He squeezed up beside me, staring across the split-rail fence at the mechanical marvel as it drew closer and music began to descend upon us. The faint melody danced about our motionless bodies, light and joyous and whispering of summer. As the asthmatic steam train drew abreast of us, we could see the bright red sides had fantastic pictures covering it. Lions and bears and beasts out of fairy tales romped only a few feet from us, promising adventures in far-off lands and dreams that soared beyond the horizon. With a hoot and a shriek of brakes, the locomotive ground to a halt in front of us, our eyes glued to the bulging wooden sides of this amazing beast. Why, it's a circus! Tabitha Sudgeons cried out, and even as these words were sinking in, the top of the car behind the steam engine opened with a puff of smoke and a muted boom. 
A collective yell of surprise and shock leapt from our throats as a tall man, resplendent in black top hat and cape, leapt to the top of the wooden box. "'Precisely, my dear,' he cried. "'This is a circus, or to be more exact, "'the magnificent traveling menagerie and performing phantasmagoria, "'and I am the one, the only, Professor Julius T. Sinkbottom.' With this triumphant declaration, he swept his tall stovepipe hat off and bent in half in a deep bow. This is no mere circus, but a traveling troupe of artistes that has dazzled the crowned heads of Europe, entertained the great Khan of Asia, been sought after by princes and kings, and has left the great Theodore Roosevelt himself staring in awe at our feats of magic and bravery. And now, children of Shelton's Cove, you too shall be given the opportunity to see the performances that have been worshipped by the Indians of the Far East, left the Pope questioning his faith, and that are always in constant demand on the continent and across the seven seas. I hope that we shall have the pleasure of your company and that of your parents at our grand opening tomorrow night. With a final sweep of his hat, A shower of penny candy cascaded down upon us, and the bright red steam engine with its spellbinding occupant lurched forward, rolling down the hill toward town. As it drew away, it was followed by a carriage full of lions, roaring in appropriately guttural blasts, then a trumpeting elephant. This was too much for Peter Sawyer, who broke away from the fence and ran screaming up the hill toward the schoolhouse. Needless to say, we paid him no mind, for the gorillas in the cage that followed the massive elephant were far more important. After these animals came closed wagon after closed wagon, covered with paintings of wizards and dragons, jungles and vines, stars and planets, and on and on it went, a seemingly endless procession of colors and sounds. Finally, the source of the music that so enraptured us brought up the rear, a steam calliope, hooting and whistling and calling us to begin summer in the finest way possible. The calliope began to draw away down the hill. With a gasp, my classmates and I became an unstoppable wave of running bodies, scrambling pell-mell through the fence posts to chase after the receding train. Then, over the music and steam whistle, I heard the one sound that could shatter any spell. Hatfield McClernand! I came to a stop halfway through the fence, only to be bowled over by the crush of bodies. I stood, hoping I could still get away and follow my compatriots who were rapidly drawing ahead of me, but my mother had seen my hesitation at the fence and knew that I had hurt her. If I did what I so wanted to do, the amount of pain and suffering that might be inflicted in the form of chores or lost privileges would far outweigh any temporary pleasure I might derive from following Professor Sinkbottom's Pied Piper Calliope. With a sigh, I watched the last of my friends run down the hill, chasing after the magical locomotive as I turned to trudge up the hill towards my mother and the schoolhouse. Try as I might, all of my attempts to talk about the circus were quashed by my mother until dinnertime rolled around. If my older sister, Tessie, had been home, I know she would have willingly taken up the cause, but she wasn't due to return from her studies in Boston until the next day. Nevertheless, I continued to pursue the topic of the circus in the hope of wearing my mother down. Even then, I think my mother, 
who disapproved of what she called the deliberate falsehoods promoted by that charlatan sink-bottom, that great con of Asia, and Theodore Roosevelt indeed, might have succeeded again if I had not found unwitting allies in Toby and Antonia, my nine-year-old siblings, and my father. The twins had been home today, their classes having concluded yesterday. Normally loathed to have anything to do with the twins, today I realized that their absence from school and subsequent ignorance of the day's events could be a boon. As we sat down at the table for dinner in anticipation of my father's arrival, I turned to my mother once again. Mom, what's a phantasmagoria and a menagerie? Holding a bowl of sweet potatoes in one hand and a spoon in the other, my mother glanced up, a sour look on her face. Hatfield, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. What they are is no concern of yours. Okay, I replied innocently, holding out my plate for an extra dollop of potatoes. I just thought it was so interesting to see all those lions and elephants and things today. And that penny candy that Professor Sinkbottom gave us was really good, too. That did the trick. Toby and Tony, their faces crammed with chicken and carrots, looked up with horrified expressions on their faces. Mom, they wailed around their food. How come Hattie seen elephants and lions and stuff and got candy and we didn't? How come Hattie saw elephants, children? My mother corrected automatically, as she always did, realizing only as she did so that it would just make matters worse. Another wail of distress. This one, at hearing confirmation from my mother of my good fortune, was quickly silenced by a stern look from my mother. The twins settled down to eat their dinner in a black sulk, directing nasty glances in my direction. Just as it seemed that things had calmed down, my father, Sheriff George Andrew McClernand, father of four and husband of 25 years, came through the door and innocently declared, You'll never guess what I saw setting up in Bacon Square today. Later that evening, I found myself sitting atop the porch roof outside my bedroom window, reluctant to go to bed. Overhead, the stars glittered, and I could hear the crashing of the surf at the base of the rookery, the tall bluffs in front of our house that led down to the Atlantic. Directly below me, I could hear the porch swing creak as my parents sat together, the soothing scent of my father's pipe and cherry tobacco wafting up to me. Emily, I don't see what the problem is. It's just a circus. That ringmaster is nothing but a pack of lies, my mother replied. I could hear the creak of the swing stop, and my father's heavy tread as he began to pace along the length of the darkened porch. Dear, that's part of the attraction of a circus. It's supposed to take your imagination in new worlds. Nobody really believes that Jojo the dog-faced boy is real, but it does stir the imagination. Of course Sinkbottom was spinning a yarn. That's his appeal. He'll mislead the children, she said sternly. Father laughed quietly. My dear, if any of the children start to believe that two-headed people really live in Asia, I'm sure we can set them straight. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't take the children to the circus tomorrow night. My heart soared in triumph as he continued. After all, Tess is coming home from school tomorrow, and I'm sure she's been to a circus or two in the city. I think it would be a fun way to spend the evening with the family. My mother said nothing, just rocked silently in the porch swing. I could hear another creak as father sat beside her. Mother sighed then. Oh, all right, we could go to the circus tomorrow night. I completely failed to restrain my cry of glee.
Hatfield Evan McLernan, get yourself to bed, Father called up to me in a stern voice, though I could hear a touch of laughter within it. Get lots of rest. You'll need all your energy at the circus tomorrow night. I jumped to my feet and dove through the window back into my room. Even then, I hesitated as I heard my mother say, I've never been to a circus, George. Well, here's your big chance, dearest, my father replied, and I slithered under the covers of my bed, pursued by glorious visions of two-headed men riding dog-faced elephants. This concludes part one of Phantasmagoria. I hope you enjoyed the start of Hattie McLernan's story. The Epic Pencil will return next week with Phantasmagoria part two. Thanks very much for joining me and taking some time to listen. And until we read again next week, please enjoy a great book or two and remember to support your local independent booksellers. The content of The Epic Pencil and Phantasmagoria are copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.